Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Making History Dope Again. This is the second episode of our series, the Kansas Crusaders. Uh, this is the second part of our our little mini part on uh, on Carrie Nation, looking at who she was as a famous and some would say infamous um, historical figure from Kansas. Um, in this past episode, we looked at who she was, and in this episode, we're looking at how has she been portrayed historically? What, what has her historiography been like, um, and how has that changed over time? So we hope that you listen to our part one. If not, we'd encourage that you pause and go back and listen to that, just so you have a firm foundation. Um, either way, we're glad that you're here, and as always, thanks for helping us keep history dope. back back again yeah whoa back streets back all right i was actually going eminem i was going oh eminem. I, don't, I don't know what you're doing same there. era i know right yeah i guess yeah 90s it was yeah i was i was i thought you were on the same wavelength Ethan, and you were not so. yeah who i'm gonna have a question for the audience who do you think on the podcast would be the best rapper that's think, the question i think it's uh i think it's I think it's Joe Nathan. Okay, yeah. Well, I don't know. I can about see that. it. Joe Nathan. Like a 21, bi- 21 Pilots style of rap. You know what I mean? Ooh. That's. No, like early. Oh, that's a compliment. Like is, blur- is that a compliment? Is like that- Blurry Face. Is that a compliment? That's a good compliment. Yes, oh, okay. it is. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. yeah. That could be a great story. I overcome speech impediment to be a rapper. Dude. I feel like you wouldn't be the first one. Yeah. It's like yeah. rap, but in a coffee house. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, guys, I'm glad that we're back together. Uh, yeah. We uh, so those of you listening, if you uh, finished the first episode on uh, on Carrie Nation or mm. uh, Kansas Crusaders, you know, kind of a, a first introductory episode there, uh, you may have noticed that the end was kind of abrupt. Um, and we hope that you didn't, but maybe you <laughs> did. Uh, we had some pretty serious tech issues. Unscripted. Uh, Basically, like uh, I, I would explain it as our, our the laptop we record on had a like a brain aneurysm. Um, and uh, we thought we'd lo- we actually thought we'd lost everything. We thought we'd have to redo that whole episode, and uh, I don't know if it's just our good clean living or what, but it it reappeared, and uh, we just had to wrap it real fast. Uh, so uh, so if if the the ending of last episode was goofy, that's why. That is certainly why. Um, but I'm glad that we have everything's are, are appear to be you know knock yes. on wood and hope we left you guys wanting more yeah like why did they stop let's hope that's what it was like <laughs> oh, cliffhanger yeah yeah um no, i feel like i was hanging off of a cliff for a second there <laughs> <laughs> but things seem to be back up and running so i think we're we're good to, to continue with our our our, uh, our little two-parter on on carry nation um Guys, uh, we kind of spent the, the first half, so that first episode, looking at just who Carrie Nation was yeah. um, and, and looking at both like the popular story and then kind of behind the curtain of who she actually was. Um, and today we're going to get into how she was uh, portrayed in her lifetime um, and then how she's been remembered historically. So, you know, a little historiography. Um, nice. Guys, what, what stood out to you about our last, our last episode with Carrie Nation? Ooh. Deeply strategic. It's yeah. kind of like the phrase that comes to my mind. Like it just seems like 
she was very intentional in the way she presented herself and, and the message she was projecting in her time in her context all, uh, just, just brilliant she just to me it just sounds like brilliant yeah no i i 100 agree just the ability to understand kind of that that cult of domesticity and how um using the the house and and the the role of women at the time to really push forward the temperance movement and then eventually you know the women's suffrage but yeah like like ethan was saying just the strategic part of of knowing that people were that she was the butt of the joke but yet still kind of selling herself for the movement of temperance so really fascinating and of course you know we're talking about you know not just the temperance movement you know uh, not drinking alcohol and you know wanting to stop the social evils that come with alcohol but you know carrie nation and and her 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 you know uh hatchetation army you know her uh her home defender army and taking it up a notch and saying you know what uh you know praying outside of a saloon isn't good enough uh this saloon is illegal so how about we we match that? How about we go in there and destroy this? You know this this right. I think den of vice was one of the quotes she 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 commonly referred to you know saloons as, um, and then and then like you said, Jonathan. I mean she she's after she puts down her her hatchet right. Um, she becomes this media figure right, and she she travels around the country, um, the East Coast particularly, and uh, she's put on like the vaudeville stage. She is the butt of the joke, um, but she does it to to raise awareness. Um, yeah. And, and, and to, to hope that, you know, as people are, you know, throwing rotten vegetables at her, as they're, you know, making fun of her in newspapers, you know, maybe somebody somewhere is, is thinking about the message or realizing, yeah. you know what, my husband is an alcoholic. Right. Or, you know, my dad died of that. You know, she's really hoping to do some good despite, um, you know, all the pretty awful things people were saying about her, you know. Yeah. And like to put for her to put her reputation on the line like that to experience that. Uh, she, I mean, she was. Uh, what did we call it? Like a uh, spec, a spectacle. Spectacle. Why can I think of that word? She's <laughs> <laughs> a spectacle, and and honestly, like the suffering that comes from that. You think of the emotional. Like you're gonna go. You know, people are gonna make fun of you, and throw things at you. And I'm gonna do this for my cause. That's that's noble, right? <laughs> no, it absolutely. Um, and. You know, I think it really just just shows you how how dedicated she was, and and her, you know, certainly coming from you know a very religious background, yep. um, uh, she certainly saw herself as a servant of of the Lord, right? And and you know, as a as a an instrument of of God's direction, right? Yep. And and I think she was willing to tolerate a lot of you know societal suffering, you know, uh, in order to 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 serve uh, you know this cause that she felt right. called to, you know. Uh, and so I think it, it really is, you know, and, and look, I mean, regardless of how, how you listeners feel about, uh, you know, what became the prohibition movement or, or whatever, I mean, you have to realize, like, this is a woman doing a very uh, unwomanly thing in this era, right? But it's only because of that that you have, you know, the woman's right to vote, right? The fact that women are even mentioned uh, in the Constitution at all in, in the 19th Amendment, I mean, is because of activists like like Carrie Nation, demanding, demanding change. It certainly wasn't given, you know. Right. Right. Um, I wanted to, to pick up, uh, and we had kind of that awkward end to our last episode with our tech issue, but we were starting to talk about how we talked about William Allen White, yeah. uh, you know, the Emporia Gazette, you know, very well-known Kansas journalist uh, who 
had actually used his platform to come to the defense of Carrie Nation, to say, hey, I know you guys are mad that she's ruining your saloons, but look, she's not wrong. They are illegal, you know, uh, and, and had been since 1881, you know, uh, in, in Kansas, you know. Um, and so uh, I wanted to zoom in on, on the difference between how Midwesterners felt about Carrie Nation mm. and how that really kind of dissipates and changes as you go to, like, the coasts. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we talked about William Allen White, right? And we talked a little bit right at the very end about how to the American Midwest, um, many of these people, you know, whether they came to this country, they immigrated to this country, you know, bought land, or whether they whether their their families had been in America since you know its founding, they came to the Midwest to kind of get away from the East, you know, uh, whether that was to practice their religion, to you know, start new, whatever it is, you know, get rich, right? Um, they left for a reason, right? And and so for many of these Midwesterners, they see, you know, the the East as evil, yeah. right? Uh, and particularly for, for religious people in the Midwest, you know, they see um, the alcohol that is coming in and corrupting their communities as, yep. well, it came on a train from the East, Right, mm. um, and so uh, there's there's a name for this. Uh, his historian uh, Richard Maxwell Brown he calls this the War of Incorporation. Okay, uh, and maybe you've heard that term if you studied like populism in America. Okay, um, and essentially during this period, you know, America is developing westward, right? Um, and you're seeing, you know, you're seeing canals and steamboats and railroads, right? Um, and you know, you're having goods that are shipped from the American East into the American West, right? Um, but think about what's also going on in this kind of Gilded Age era, right? You're thinking robber barons, right? Yeah. Monopolies, right? Yeah. Terrible treatment of, of workers, right? You know, the little guy is getting squished, right? right? And that's happening in the cities, as we oftentimes think about, but it's also happening to the farmer, right? The farmer feel, feels marginalized by these large you know international companies that are kind of springing up in this era yeah and so like the populist movement a lot of that is kind of this popular midwestern reaction to um you know uh, the the u.s government is in the pocket of big business and they forgot about what makes america great the common farmer right mm. um and so carrie nation is kind of part of this too of like she's saying like look these these corporations east are bringing their evil with us right um and you know what are we going to do about it right are we going to let the scourge of alcohol like truly ruin our our communities or or not right right and so um that was interesting for me with researching this because you obviously think about all these reform movements of the gilded age but you don't always think about how they all like connect together and right. so that was interesting for me to hear a historian saying, like, well, there, there's a reason for that, right? There, there's, there is some connective tissue um, outside of just William Allen White supporting Carrie Nation. Now, obviously, not everyone in the Midwest loves that their, their favorite saloon, you know, is, is being smashed. Right? Sure. Um, but certainly her support is strongest in, in, you know, the Midwest, right? This very, like, devout region of America. Um, and so, for example, uh, former Governor John St. John... Uh, the Charles Sheldon, who Ethan, you might know that name, uh, being a being you know a, a pastor. He's the "What Would Jesus Do" guy. Oh, out of Topeka. Yeah, yeah. So, what would he do? Um, the leading Methodist in Kansas, uh, John Thomas McFarlane, right? 
These are all names of people who had big platforms who were like, you know what? It's a little unconventional, but Carrie Nation isn't wrong. Yeah, and those She's are onto something. Those are social gospel leaders. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the era that we see here. Now, I I don't know if many classes really touch on the social. I didn't really learn about it until grad school, but that's kind of the Jane Adams. Yeah. You know, people that are putting a lot of this philanthropy into practice, right? Yeah, and so it's... So those are her supporters? Those are her supporters, right? Gotcha. Um, And then as you kind of get outside of that Midwest, you know, even part of her own group, you know, the WCTU, we talked about... uh, Yeah, yeah, Women's Christian Temperance Union. I think to make sure I said it in the right order there, yeah. Um, You know, outside of the Midwest, you know, they don't support what she's doing. You know, obviously they like that she's opposing alcohol and stuff like that, but, you know, it really does get drawn along those geographical boundaries of like, well, a sophisticated ladies back east. Right. We can't we can't support this 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 barbarism that that Miss Nation is 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 participating in. Wow. Um, and and so there's this great quote from uh, I think it was from a New York chapter uh, of, of the WCTU. And the quote here is. Uh, that she does more harm than good, these lawless methods. Okay. And this is from um, the WCTU? This, this is from her group. This is from her group saying, you know what? We're not, we're not going to le- accept The leadership this. of the group. We're not going to accept this. Exactly. Yeah. Um, as we start to like transition into how the East saw her during her own lifetime, um, I think it's important to, to think about go back to the whole like cult of domesticity thing mm-hmm. right and, and i think so much of this this conversation is framed by the the cultural limitations of what a woman is and isn't what a woman should be and should not be right and so you have this woman carrie nation right very religious right um she grew up poor you know uh living in on on a farm right i mean you have to do things yourself right the kind of the whole like sophistication of being a lady of like well the man does the the man's work right when you're on the american you know planes right that's that adjusts a little bit right because you might have to go out and and feed the chickens right you might have to butcher a hog as a as a housewife in the midwest something you would never do in your petticoats in the american east (laughs) right and so as her meth as she starts to grow in popularity as she starts to go on on tour you see like journalists targeting her as this representation of everything a good american woman should not be wow okay um and there's so many examples uh new york times uh uh time magazine right uh where they not only write about carrie nation in this way um but they they use like political cartoons okay so um here's one and you guys have seen this thing we saw this last time um the caption of this, this is from uh, from Life Magazine 1901. Look out, boys, um, a cyclone from Kansas. And hmm. I'll show this to you. Feel free to Google that. <laughs> it's and a so, twister. So oh, it's sorry. Carrie Nation, and she's the... She's got double hatchets. She's the personification dual of wielding. a... Uh, a dual wielding. Does she have sure. sideburns? <laughs> she has sideburns. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Her, uh, her face is a little masculine yeah it reminds okay. me of the, like the Tweedledee from yes, alice in wonderland yes. that way th- just to describe if you guys aren't googling that picture right now wow yeah very unflattering and so that is certainly on purpose wow. right um and you know by showing her as this 
man, not this woman, right? It's obviously disrespectful, particularly in this era, right? Yeah. To to show her that way. But it just kind of leans into her brazen tactics are not what American women are about, right? Right. She's a crazy who should be remembered as such. That's really what that's trying to hammer home. Um, and and certainly, like, the fact that they show her as a, as a man, like, uh, that is them drawing a line in the sand, right? Um, and so I found this quote from, let's say, another suffrage activist, right, who's from the Northeast, Susan B. Anthony, yeah. right, talking about, uh, talking about Carrie Nation. So here's her quote. The hatchet was the weapon of barbarism. The ballot is one of civilization. Okay. And so while certainly we're going to talk a lot about like male reporters who are, who are not saying the greatest things about Carrie Nation, it's important to know that, that the women, the women activists who we remember their names and we would think, oh, well, they're all women activists who are fighting for, they're all going to be on the same side. No, no, no. Even within the, the suffrage movement themselves, they are dividing and saying, nope, Carrie Nation uh, she's not what a good woman is, right? Can you uh, read that quote one more time? One more time. The hatchet was the weapon of barbarism. The ballot is one of civ- You know it's about carrying The ballot is one of civility. Of, of, of civilization. Of civil- but how, women can't vote. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, my goodness. Um, and so... So that's saying like yeah. they need to focus on getting... Uh, that that she ought to be focusing more on the ballot versus action. Right. It's basically saying like um, Carrie Nation is eroding this this suffragette movement. Wow. Um, you know, which which if anything, I mean, Carrie Nation is is, is drawing attention to. Now we're obviously yeah. little, we're biased as being from the Midwest. I think probably. Right? Well, we also have you know also have hindsight. A little yeah. Bit, exactly. But... Exactly. Um, and and you know, look like the the. the the whole height thing, Jonathan, one thing you mentioned in, in like the very first minutes of, of episode one was that she was a tall woman, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is going to be portrayed in like cartoons and newspapers as, you know, she's she's the female Frankenstein. You know, she's a female yeah. Alexander, right? And that, you know, she's coming from this Midwest with her, her overly pious methods um, and she's bringing with it kind of this Midwestern masculinity, right? Mm. You know, hide your children, hide your wife, because do you want your wife to look like this and act like this, right? Wow. Um, that's really the, uh, the, the, the vibe you get. Um, in, uh, I was reading, a, a, this is from Florida, but uh, there's a Tampa newspaper uh, called The Champion uh, because Carrie Nation traveled all over, including all the way down to like Miami. Um, and, uh, you know, they labeled her squarely built and strongly featured okay and so they're again taking this kind of she looks like a man perspective right which you can find photos and she just looks like a like an older woman you know yeah, right not particularly true um there's even some evidence and this is it gets a little historically sketchy but the whole six foot tall thing um her family like her daughter swore that she was a tall woman but not that tall of a woman like wow. maybe she was closer to like five eight or five nine which still was you know uh, higher than average uh, sure. for the American woman at the time. But the whole, like, the memory of, of her being six feet, um, which, look, I read a lot of, a lot of like, peer-reviewed journals in yeah. preparation for this project where, where, they, where they say, yeah, she was six, foot, six feet tall, you know? Yeah. And so uh, now is her daughter, is she accurate? Who knows? But, but there even could be, historically, right. you know, kind of a, a, a misremembering there. Um, sure. And that kind of feeds back into the, well, you know, 
she acts like a man and she's as tall as a man too you know mm. so that was an interesting thing as i was kind of kind of going through this um it's crazy how much those like physical features of people really do play into perception into building narratives right and you're like you think about it you're like that's such a ridiculous thing like what does it matter how tall she was but it does yeah like you know in people's minds that very instinctual maybe yeah the the prejudices that we kind of form based on those things right right uh so at this point guys um i think we're going to in episode one we paused to watch that little ken burns clip i think we're gonna pause again okay and here's why so there is a very famous a great way to see what we are talking about how does the american ec um, you know, this, this wild woman of the plains, right? And I'm doing air quotes, of course, very hard here. Uh, that's certainly how they wrote about her, right, in, in newspapers. Um, but maybe the, the best physical, like, way to view this is to actually see um, a short film. It's like a two-minute clip uh, produced by Thomas Edison, okay? okay? And there's actually two of these. So those of you listening, we're going to encourage you to pause and uh, and just go to YouTube and search for this thing. You'll certainly find it. Um, there's two options here, okay? The first one is called Kansas Saloon Smashers, okay? And then the second one, which I think is probably the most representative, is Why Mr. Nation Wants a Divorce, okay? These are both from like 1901, 1902, okay? And they're silent films. And Thomas Edison is using this kind of pioneering technology, right? Which the silent film in early 1900s is, is very cutting edge. Um, and he's going to use this technology to target none other than Carrie Nation, right? Um, who is this representation to, I think, many people, many men, um, of the dangers of giving women a voice, right? right. You know, it, it's one thing to you know, listen to your wife. But once you give women the right to vote, you give all women the right to vote, including this woman who has been portrayed as this kind of barbarian, Amazonian woman uh, who is going to, you know, teach your wife everything that's wrong about you, the man, mm. right? So I uh, encourage you, we'll pause here and then we'll pick back up. Um, there's two to check out here. Kansas Saloon Smashers, and then Why Mr. Nation Wants a Divorce. So guys, we just paused and watched both of those. Uh, Kansas Saloon Smashers, Why Mr. Uh, Nation Wants a Divorce. By the way, before we even ask you your thoughts on, on both, because they're... they're uh, Interesting. You, you see how far film has come, right? Is that, <laughs> is that, is that true? Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, you may wonder, like, what's up with that caption? Uh, so David Nation, you know, minister, lawyer, right? You know, uh, second second husband to to Carrie Nation. Um, he did uh, around like 1901 actually file like divorce papers, um, and it's because Carrie Nation wasn't smashing anymore. She was on tour, right? Uh, so much so that like he thought she had abandoned him, um, and so like he he'd filed divorce for like abandonment basically so this is at an era where you had to have a cause for divorce and so that was the cause um, wow. was you abandoned the the home sphere right yeah um which for people like thomas edison right who are who are afraid of of this growing call for woman involvement in society you know reforming society calling for suffrage you know the right to vote it's kind of like this is what i'm talking about guys like you know if uh 
if we allow more women like Carrie Nation to leave the home, they're going to abandon the home. You know, your your Do children you are going to be like this. Your your children are going to be shoeless, right? And and you'll be home with your beard and a nighty, you know, raising your kids, right? Uh, so guys, you watch both those clips. Um, let's start with uh, Kansas Saloon Smashers, right? Yes. Which uh, is you know my my least favorite of the two. Right. Uh, what stood out about that? Yeah. No, I think um, the beginning of it really just makes you think like it just looks like a really calm situation like these guys are just minding their own business they're just doing, going in for know. a drink midday yeah yeah, yeah. They're, they're, not, <laughs> midday. <laughs> they're not breaking any laws they're, they're not doing anything illegal right yeah they're right. the victim right yeah you're just you're just at the bar at applebee's and like, it, you're just chilling and the, yeah, the applebee's yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then in comes this like flood of of aggressive noticeably tall women mm-hmm. yes you know yeah and you know, they proceed to ruin this male space you're in. They're good time. They ruined it. They yeah. ruined a good time. Yeah. Right? They ruined this good thing. Do you want to point out that bar that, like, they had in the set looked remarkably like uh, like the Hotel Carrie, like, with the big, beautiful bar behind it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think maybe the, the, the point of the film, and, and both of these that you guys watched, we hope... Uh, uh, were, were comedies, right? Silent film, little shorts, I guess is what you Felt call like them. like the Saturday Night Live of its time, maybe? Yeah, I mean, like really. Satirical. It, it, and, and the idea that you could pay, you know, truly that term like Nickelodeon, right? You pay a nickel for it. I'd imagine this was probably like a short before like a, a longer form yeah. or something. That'd be a lot to pay for one nickel, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but you know, the, the, the really the, the, the wellspringing at the end is all the guys get together to kick out Carrie Nation, right? And, you know, like the barkeep has like some kind of a, like a sprayer, right? Almost oh, like yeah, a yeah, yeah. like a old school like super soaker, you know. And then, <laughs> you know, the the police show up and push out the other women. And and so the point is, you know, uh, if you think about who's the villain in that, right? The women, right, led by Carrie Nation, uh, are are the ones who are destroying this male space, right? Disturbing and the peace. Disturbing the peace. Yeah, and you're right, and, and you have. You have both the barkeep, who's operating this illicit saloon, and the police on the same side, right? Yeah. In a way, this short little film is kind of proving Carrie Nation's point of, like, the system's broken, you know? Yeah. The barkeep and the saloon, and, and the you know, the barkeep and the policeman shouldn't be on the same side. Right. Because the bar's illegal, right? Right. Um, but but you have this, this, like, you know, this male heroism because they have kicked out uh, these these women who are, who are out of place, right? Well, and even, like, the method of, like, he was like spraying them with water or something to get them to like leave like that's like that's like very condescending like that's like something yeah. you do with like you know like a pet or something like yeah. you but know I suppose that imagery yeah that's a good point you, you would like yeah like sometimes uh, yeah exactly exactly um i think part of that is because in the american east and the press they have masculine masculine masculinized is that the word? Yeah, sure. You've, you've made, right. yeah, you've made Carrie Nation, you know, uh, this this man, right? And so you can treat her in a way you wouldn't treat other women because she doesn't act like other women, right? Sure. Um, and so, you know, the fact that they always treat her like that in both print media and cartoons and then in this, like, short film, right, it provides insight into kind of this fear of, like, this, like, late Victorian era, you know, um, that, that there's this, like, war against, like, true womanism, right mm. there's this war against you know what makes a woman a woman and that these suffragettes these crazy radicals are going to to change america right they're going to break this this sphere this cult of domesticity that right. stood for a millennia right um 
and that, you know, if we don't do anything, they won't stop until they have ruined our political and social institutions, right? Mm. And if you think about drinking in America, the saloon, the bar in America, it's, it, it's an institution, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, you think of, you know, the revolution started in, in, in Bostonian, you know, uh, tap rooms, you know? Uh, yeah, man, those, those cattle would not have come from uh, down the Chisholm Trail if those cowboys had not had a saloon to A saloon to do it in, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Uh, at least that's the, the, the opinion of them, right? Um, now, um, the second one, why, why Mr. Nation wants a divorce um, I think really is 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 the most of the two. It's it's the most offensive, right? Mm. Um, and so in that, right, you know, you have you have Mr. Nation, right, who is playing, you know, not the role he should be, mm-hmm. right, according to the 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 uh, the norms of the era, right. He is he's he's the house dad, not the housewife, right. Um, and you know, he's doing a bad job putting the baby to sleep, and you know, I think he like paddles the 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 daughter at one point, right? And, you know, but the whole thing is it's a comedy because this isn't what men do, right? Um, right. And then, you know, of course, when the babes are put to sleep, Carrie Nation's gone. He reaches under his pillow. Oh, he pulls out a little something-something. A little something-something, little little bottle of liquor, you know? Yeah. No one's... Carrie's gone, you know? Uh, you may point out... You may want to... Like, before he gets the drink, he uh, he picks up a newspaper, Right. And he kind of like freaks out at it, almost like he's mad at it, right? And I suppose he's reading a headline of of, of something Carrie Nation has done, you know, something unwomanly his his mm. beloved wife has done, you know, uh, demeaning his name yet again because she's you know stepping out of out of her place. And this in this pressure of fatherhood and and reading the paper has just pushed him to the drink. Right. If if anything this temperance activist is making her husband drink that's the that's kind of the connotation of the film right Right. is is not only are these temperance activists seeking to disrupt you know the hierarchy that has existed in america forever uh but they're actually doing more damage right wow um and so i I thought that was interesting and then of course at the end you know she comes home and beats the crap out of him and (laughs) yeah as soon as he pulls out that flask she 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 timed it just right she spanks him notice uh she is way taller than he is so that is that kind of like masculinization of of, or how i say that word like twice two different ways it's also interesting because it flips the one of the biggest cries for the temperance movement was that spousal abuse right right it flips it so now she's the one abusing the spouse wow Right. right Right. That's wow. That's a great yeah. observation. You, you also you you can find uh, you can find other. There's a lot of uh, political cartoons. So this is kind of that era. It's kind of like late Gilded Age, progressive era when political cartoons are really at their height, right? Yeah. Um, because film isn't isn't as easily accessible, right? Um, and so you see a lot of like anti-suffrage cartoons mm-hmm. where they have this very power dynamic. You know, yes. the, the the ruined institution of the home. You know. Um, and if, if you enjoy, like, if you're one of those people that like watch like the cringy TikToks or you know like cringy humor, go look at some of these political cartoons. <laughs> right, <laughs> they're cringy. Well, and, and I, I always love to teach like the Gilded Age, particularly through cartoons, because it gives you such an insight. It's like going into you guys in college. You guys go to like the microfilm and look at like old newspapers and stuff. Mm. And I, I used to I actually always... never did that. Really? No, everything was pretty. I looked at like the digitized stuff. I'm seeing you nod your head, Jonathan. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, a little bit with some genealogy type stuff, yeah. yeah of course, it's genealogy. That's, <laughs> that's your thing, yeah. Yeah, but I, I remember going in, and I forget what I was looking for, but I was back in, like, the 1920s, you know, and it was just our local newspaper. It's cool that they have these on archive, you know. Yeah. And they have, you know, they have it set it up, you put the disc in, you really can kind of, like, fly through trying to find a certain headline. But as you go through the headline, you go through, like, ads, and you see, like, you know, what are they trying to sell to men? What yeah. are they trying to sell to women, you know? And it's very gendered. It's like, you know, they're trying to sell women, like, satin gloves and, like, hats or hat boxes, right? And, right. And for men, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's exactly what you think it is. But on the male side, right? You know, look at this new car, right? Look at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the, the, the takeaway <laughs> from, from these two things created by, uh, by Thomas Edison, directed by Edwin Porter, another, you know, film pioneer, um, is that, you know, these women are, are challenging and, and are, are danger to, to society, right? Um, one, of the, uh, one of the books that I really use as I started to, to, to build this, this project uh, was a book by Fran Grace, okay? Uh, Carrie Nation telling, Retelling the Life. Um, really, really great historian who really wanted to kind of look past the, the kind of propaganda image that, that we have of, of Carrie Nation. And uh, her quote about these films was, um, this film was interpreted by the public as determining that Mr. Nation and the rest of the world would be better off if Carrie Nation just stayed home and did what women were supposed to do. I think that really kind of proves like uh, how the American East and, and the news the news media portrayed Carrie Nation, wow. um, and and kind of the inherent danger that comes with her name, right? Yeah. Um, and go think back to what we talked about last time. Um, you know the the sign that was in all those saloons. You still can find them in some some today. Uh, I know even in, in like Boston, Massachusetts, there's a random like Carrie A Nation bar. Um, you know, in Boston, of course, Boston. Of course, it's in Boston, right? And uh, <laughs> you know, and, and and there's there's like signs in there, obviously, that are saying, you know, all nations welcome except Carrie, right? And I think in this case too, it's like you know, uh, we can't welcome Carrie because if we welcome in Carrie, we're welcoming in all these other potential changes to the social structure, wow. right? Um, which I think is just really interesting. Um, so now we're going to kind of transition out of like her own lifetime mm-hmm. and into, I just kind of called it vaguely the, the post-progressive era. So just after the progressive era. Um, and, and what I was curious in is like, well, that's how she was shown in her lifetime. You know, um, you know, uh, the Joan of Arc kind of figure in the Midwest. Uh, and then the exact opposite, you know, uh, this destroyer of, of civility, you know, in, in, on the coasts. Right. And I was curious, you know, did this continue? Um, uh, and did it change, you know, uh, or what is this, what does the historiography look like? You know, quite, quite simply. Um, and, and interestingly, like her actual death, um, wasn't that memorable of a moment. The first thing I did when I started this, like, post-progressive study was let me find when she died she dies in 1911 and i was like you know are there like these whole page articles you know on her and and not much not much i mean a couple paragraphs in the new york times and the washington post and uh, boston globe right um and you know so it was kind of a surprise because somebody who had been so routinely condemned in their periodicals all of a sudden kind of like disappears from their memory you know, wow. um, it's only been a decade too, which is right. Well, and she was, you know, some of these things we've been mentioning, you know, um, you know, her, her going on tour and flicking cigarettes out of people's mouths. I mean, she was doing that like 1907, 1908. So it really wow. hasn't even been that long. Well, you it's know? also so that she's era still relevant. 
Yeah, but it's also the era of like sensationalism, yellow journalism, yellow, yellow journalism, journalism certainly. Yeah. Uh, and you better believe, you know, uh, this 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 uh, barbarian woman from the Midwest, right? Oh man, coming for your liquor and your booze and your cigarettes and your fun, right? Is going to sell really well to your yellow journalism, you know, Gets that minded view- audience, that you know? viewership. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, now, if we're looking just um, in in you know in Kansas in the Midwest, um, you know you do see women uh, groups kind of celebrating Carrie Nation. You know, um, and particularly you know from from 1911 when she dies until you know like actual prohibition happens. You know, the actual prohibition of alcohol gets passed. Right. You're seeing people like using her image a little bit. Um, And so, for example, um, 1933, WPA, Works Project Administration, um, uh, I found, I have a a copy of their encyclopedia. It's their Encyclopedia of Kansas, okay? Um, And and, and there was a section on Carrie Nation uh, in her her hometown of, of Medicine Lodge, and they call her the John Brown of Prohibition. Okay, so in the same way that John Brown is like kind of the precursor to like the American Civil War, right? Um, you know, Carrie Nation is that of temperance, you know, or of, of prohibition. You know, she she was called for it before it was it was widely accepted, right? Mm. Uh, which was interesting. Um, in 1918, uh, the local chapter, the Wichita chapter of uh, the women Women's Christian Temperance Union, dedicated a uh, a water fountain. Uh, to Carrie Nation and her legacy. Uh, and so it used to be in uh, Naster Park, which is yeah. kind of the park downtown, okay. right? Yep. Uh, actually across the street from where the Hotel Carrie used to be. Um, Funny. And now there's actually a statue there of, of Carrie Nation with her with her hatchet. Um, and so on, on the water fountain, it says, erected to the memory of, of Carrie A. Nation. Yeah. Um, now, uh, when they redid Naster Park, I think like four or five years ago, um, they moved the water fountain, and I, yeah. it is no longer there. So yeah. I'd be curious, and those of you uh, from Kansas, uh, maybe you know, and I just missed it, but I'm curious where that water fountain is now. Mm-hmm. I was not able to find that. But in 1918, you know, you see, you know, seven years after her life ended, you see the Women's Christian Temperance Union saying, well, let, let's make sure there's a, there's a, a monument to, to her uh, and make sure that if people are drinking, it is an alcohol. It's, yeah, I love that it was a water fountain. <laughs> it's got to be water, right? Good touch. Good it's got to be water, you know. Um, outside of her state, outside of, of her movement, kind of in that Midwest, um, every time she comes up in this period, and it wasn't really a lot, but it's always that Carrie Nation is this enduring symbol of overpiety, okay? Mm. Of hard-headed barbarism. Um, or that she is just a fanatical female problem right Mm. and every time there's any kind of challenge to the idea of prohibition and then once especially once prohibition is actually like instituted you know like the volstead act you know and actually you know the the uh the transportation and sale of of alcohol is like not not the drinking i want to clarify that's the weird thing about prohibition technically it's not illegal to drink alcohol it's just illegal to procure or transfer or sell right (laughs) right which is part of the reason why it fails probably right um but every time you need a target about why prohibition sucks she's the target wow which is interesting wow um now i do want to mention here that that carrie nation you know fights for 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 temperance uh you know to 
to save the home from the evils of alcohol. Uh, towards the end of her life, you know, it's no longer just about saving the home. She is openly calling for for the full suffrage of women. She's fully ca- calling for a national prohibition of alcohol. Um, mm. And so, you know, when that when she dies after she after her death, you see states slowly adopt you know state prohibitions leading up until you know when when national prohibition actually gets passed okay now kansas of course already had one 1881 we were kind of on the cutting edge of that um yeah but you know by by 1920 uh you've seen 15 states give women full suffrage right you've seen another 12 provide partial suffrage so one of the things carry nation calls for it's starting to actually happen right um 1920 uh the reason i picked that year that's of course when the volstead act really goes into right. lots passed in 1919 goes into effect january 17th right uh, you can find some really great fo- photos of like people celebrating yes uh, you know like the death of alcohol right yeah uh kind of the night before um well and, and for the people that don't know basically just the volstead act was just to strengthen the prohibition amendment which was very weakly written and enforced yeah there's this and there's a long history of of uh of of legislation or in this case an amendment passed where it's so vague there has to be like subsequent measures to like what did we mean by that yeah you know and the the classic story about um about you know the 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 prohibition amendment is that a lot of the people who voted for it and then people who subsequently voted for the volstead act um a lot of those congressmen didn't realize that it made all alcohol sale illegal like they thought it was just like whiskey or like gin you know actually like strong liquor yeah they didn't realize it also like included like table wine or or your favorite you know pilsner you know right um and so it's one of those weird things of of like who are we sending to washington you know who is (laughs) did they read the law that they voted and, and made made the nation deal with for like 13 years yeah yeah well there's also stories of like congressmen like drinking in the halls of the capitol exactly right (laughs) and and, you know and and certainly any discussion over national prohibition you know you you have to kind of weigh the you know was it successful not if it was if the goal was to stop people drinking you know it 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 does you see this huge spike in, in in crime and you know the organized crime or, or, or bootlegging. It was kind of like NASCAR is based in is like, you know, modifying yeah. cars so you can get away from, uh, from, from liquor agents. I w- right. I wonder if any of our like past students possibly listening to this are having like DBQ flashbacks. Yeah. Cause there is, there is a DBQ. <laughs> is it, was prohibition a, a success or is it, why was it a failure? Why was it a failure? Why was it a failure? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, those are some of the, the things you can, you can focus on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, now, I do want to clarify, um, uh, if you're measuring prohibition, this national prohibition, as it doesn't stop people from drinking. Right. People do get it through illegal and oftentimes less regulated means. I mean, there's stories of people getting, you know, bathtub gin and going blind from it, you know, because it hasn't been tested by like an FDA or of, of sorts, right? Um, and those are real true issues that happened, right? Right. Um, but, you know... If the goal was to make Americans just drink less, sure. Actually, national prohibition, you did see kind of a decline of 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 people drinking. People still certainly drank. People still. I think America always will have kind of a drinking culture. I think it's kind of baked yeah. in 
pretty deep, you know, um, from, you know, the original founders and then just like subsequent immigrant groups who've brought their their tradition with them. Which, right? What town doesn't have a microbrewery right now? Yeah. You know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and it, I mean, it seems like we have every day we get like one more here, you know, it just, it's, it's always, it's always, it's like, it's like, um, it's like, you know, it's like the universe. It's ever expanding the number of microbreweries, you know? Um, nice. but, but, you know, you do see, you do see a, a decline in, in the amount Americans drink after prohibition. So yeah, in a weird yeah. way, that is some kind of success, not sure. quite what, you know, the, the, the prohibition was, was created to do, but you, right. know, you do see a decrease there. There's this, um, there's a great couple great articles you can find online about all of the cocktails that existed before prohibition and then all of the cocktails that existed after prohibition. Um, and a lot of the, the kind of, you go to like a martini bar or a cocktail bar, cocktail lounge, and you get a drink. A lot of the ones that are kind of like, like an old fashioned, for example, uh, or anything with vermouth, those are like post prohibition because they're like pretty simple. There's only a couple steps. Interesting. Um, and the ones before are oftentimes the, 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 like the mixed drinks that have like multi steps and like a dozen ingredients. Um, so, so even, you know, uh, how Americans drink during and after prohibition, uh, you do see a change from before prohibition, Wow, which is kind of an interesting, not really related to carry nation directly, but it's kind of an interesting change in how did this, you know, mostly unsuccessful haystock drinking thing change how people drink. You know? Yeah. No longer a uh, nation of drunkards. I, less drunk, maybe. I mean, it's, it's certainly, you know, <laughs> yeah. on the spectrum. There's no denying that people who wanted to find alcohol during Prohibition um, did not have to work very hard to find alcohol. Right. You know, um, and, you know, there's a, there's a huge surge of, of, uh, of alcohol given out as medication by doctors and, you know, mm. you know oftentimes prepackaged into, uh, you know, instead of like an obvious liquor bottle, it's a medicine bottle. You know? So I remember going on a tour at the Anheuser-Busch Brewery in St. Louis and during Prohibition, they, sell, they sold yeast because that was legal. And on the packaging, they had instructions how to make your own beer at <laughs> oh, home. Nice, nice. And I, I've seen some where it's like it's like a it's like a medication, and there's this big warning label on it. And they're like, warning, for no reason should you let sit for six months in a dark, cool place, <laughs> because if you do, it will ferment into delicious. <laughs> into yeah, <laughs> and so you do see a lot of people. Interestingly, when when prohibition is repealed. Yeah. Uh, which one is that? 1930? Eight? 30, 33. 33, 33, I think. 33, no, yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a 13-year period. Um, that is the same. Year. Actually, like, I believe on I believe on the day, on the day that Prohibition is repealed, 1933, um, is the day that Anheuser-Busch releases Budweiser. Wow. Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah, and I believe it might be the first time they used the horses whatever kind of Clydesdales Clydesdales, I believe it might be the first use of and because there's this great photo of um, of the Clydesdales uh, the day Prohibition was repealed and they're pulling like a Budweiser sign oh my goodness and so you know think of like you know undoubtedly the most American you know quintessential you know liquor brand right in America right they use this Prohibition uh, repeal as this like huge marketing Strategy, Man. we're reaching like for a sponsorship right now <laughs> i guess yeah <laughs> carrie nation would hate the last five minutes of this conversation yes. she would be furious oh my goodness um and so you know uh, 
I did this interesting research as I was like coming up with this because you know you see um, you know you see national prohibition come to fruition right uh, the same year that women get the right to vote yeah. right um, but then whenever there's like a reaction to either of those two things carry nation is this quintessential historical example of like what went wrong with giving women the right to vote what went wrong with prohibition is like she's you know the scapegoat. Wow. she's the easy scapegoat right and all you have to do is just open up your newspaper from a decade ago and there, there you have the new york times giving it to her you know drawn her as a woman you know right or as, as a man right yeah um and so she becomes kind of that that lazy easy scapegoat if you uh if you will um and so i, I wrote this um uh, the cultural memory of Carrie Nation could be personal too. Uh, there was a, a 1932, so the last year before Prohibition, there was a play entitled Carrie Nation. Okay. Wow. Um, and it got picked up like it was a nationally like performed play. Like Broadway. I don't think it was on Broadway, but it okay. was like it was performed around the country. Um, and uh, it like was a story about how she is crazy, how she was the product of a religious fanatic and an insane mo- mother, and how she became both of those things. Um, and you know, uh, they actually, uh, say that she led her husband to commit suicide. Oh my gosh. Like he didn't drink himself to death, but he, like she made him kill himself. Like, wow. oh my um, gosh, that's heavy. So yeah. that's like, that's not just a musical or a play. Yeah. That is very that's much like political char- messaging. That's in a character assassination. In some of the, uh, in some of the performances, they always had her makeup like very masculine. In some, she wore a pig nose. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Can Lynn Manuel Miranda redo the Scary Nation <laughs> musical? Just rewrite it, like redeem it. With the pig nose? Without it. Okay, good. No, like, like do it in for, a good way. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, like, that's what I said. Rewrite it. Yeah. yeah. So this is us. This is us reaching Nation out again. Is too. what it's, it's called. Be called, Ooh, it's called Nation. Nation. Yeah. All right. We're reaching now. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, largely, you know, she became kind of this enduring target of anti temperance and like prohibition literature. Um, I did this. Um, I, Google is such a power. Uh, s- s- being able to use a search engine, like as a trying to build a, a story, is so valuable. And so mm. I was able to do this search. Um, and so I searched. It was like over 15 million digitized books that like Google has access to, right? The ones that are like on wow. like their Google mm-hmm. books, right? Um, and you can like go into their like advanced search features, and you can basically say, I want to Google these keywords in this interval so i picked like i think i picked um uh 1911 when she dies i think i I think i went to like 1933 so the repeal of prohibition basically uh how often does carry nation come up in these digitized books that you have right um and what i found uh was that um her name is way more used in that era right this like kind of prohibition era um, than any other temperance activist, okay? Okay. Wow. And then as I would go in and zoom, and obviously I didn't look at all 15 million of these books because, oh, my God, right? Yeah. Uh, but it was it was generally exactly what you thought it was. It was generally a negative connotation. Uh, oh, my God, you know, uh, prohibition sucks. How do we get here, right? To someone that's um, not even alive. Right, right. Wow. Um, and so there's, I mean, there's other temperance activists we haven't talked about. Not all of them are women. Uh, a guy named Neil Dow or Wayne Wheeler, right? Or Andrew Volstead, the guy of the Volstead Act, right? Right. Those guys, you know, they, they had as much to do with temperance and what became prohibition uh, as Carrie Nation. If anything, they may have had more because they were men 
right? And so therefore, right. their platform was like more, uh, you know, heard in this in this era. But who keeps being talked about? Carry Nation, Carry Nation, Carry Nation. Wow. And every time I would look, almost always, unless it was like a Midwest newspaper, you know, a, a Medicine Lodge journal, or like a, a temperance newspaper, negative, 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 negative. Because that's just easy. It's the icon, the, it's already set. And well, so you and just I, say the name Carry yes. Nation. Like I said, it's lazy, right? Yeah. Like that. And so one of the editorials written, uh, uh, Old Carrie, she was a crazy Jane, wasn't she? How many would-be drunkards did she rescue? Poor, poor old hag, right? What? Imagine, and that was in. Was that a haiku? That or? was in like an editorial. <laughs> I know it was almost like that was in like an editorial, you okay. know. Uh, and this is during Prohibition, right? So just responding, right? Um, now, I guess I feel like this section is basically me saying it was exactly the same as it was towards the last years of her life, right? And so I think we should pause. Um, how does something become endured, like, in memory, like, historically? You know mm. what I mean? How does that happen, like, historically? Oh, that's a big question. That's a good question. Education. I think it's... The, the narrative that is taught to children... Mm. and then is perpetuated throughout time like I, I go back to the episode on the lost cause yeah like within the south and how how big education was in solidifying that historical narrative hmm. i think there's an element also of the loudest most dominant voice mm-hmm. within a nation or within a culture being the one who really sets the the tone of well then the news but now history right mm. so who's writing and who's being heard exactly yeah, yeah. exactly and in this era yeah starting to change but it is certainly more well, male than still absolutely i'm like who's writing yeah. it's male journalists right. right uh journalists from the coasts right from cosmopolitan era- areas well, well and i guess in, in another way just to think about prohibition right what are you prohibiting you're trying to mm. prohibit male recreation right right you know and so in in mostly male writings right you see kind of this condemnation of of how dare you eliminate this 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 place that us men had this this sanctuary of drink right that that we had um and and as i just kind of kept going into this period i mean just more and more i just i really wanted to have a different conclusion but unless they had a, a connection to temperance this was the consistent angle people took um now you know there are there are examples. Uh, so like here, here's an uh, example of like a of a temperance uh, journal supporting Carry Nation. Um, so this is Reverend Floyd Tompkins uh, writing in the annual annuals of the American Academy of Political and Social Science, um, and he was talking about how basically um, there were positive health effects of of prohibition. Sure, people can still find alcohol, right? Sure, you've seen this rise in like crime, but you know. Um, if you think about like the thing of temperance, right? It wasn't the alcohol, it was the impact of alcohol on the home, right? Mm. So here's his quote. Pay envelopes of the breadwinners have been taken home intact, right? From a public health perspective, this period has been a wonder worker, right? Um, and so think about like all the health, like detriments that come with alcohol, right? Yeah. How many poor houses are filled with drunkards, right? 
how many you know hospitals how many people you know they needed a you know an organ replacement before they really could do that you right know, because they did it to themselves right and so that's an example um and so he talks about how you know this has given american a chance to pick a sober captain should it choose to so it's kind mm. of it's kind of you know america has been riding real hard and fast on that gas pedal every generation drinking themselves into a stupor and for the first time prohibition has kind of eased up we've let the engine kind of cool off right and now america has to decide what are we going to do now we of course we know in 1933 we're going to repeal prohibition right right (laughs) and some of us are going to go hard again right uh and some people never stop going hard during this period (laughs) right right? but you do see some kind of a, a, a a dissenting a minority voice right talking about well there are some positive effects because of of carry nation yeah um, which is interesting on the other side right carry nation is the child of uh you know piranical uh, puritanical you know fanaticism you know she's a lazy moralist right you know uh she and her group demanded you know parrot-like demands that have no value no effect on on culture right um, and there were much more of those conclusions than, than on the other side. Uh, there was one uh, that, that made me laugh, 1923, uh, New Jersey Journal, uh, where, and this guy just sounded like he was shouting. Like the fact that this got published in a, a scholarly journal is just mm-hmm. like wild to me. But here's his quote. Um, the launch of some, uh, let me find it here. Uh, actually, this is New Jersey governor, Edward oh, Edwards. Wow. Okay. Uh, he blamed the temperance movement moralism for creating simply a smokescreen for the launch of some new torpedoes against the plate on armor of the liberties of American citizens. And so what he's saying there is he's saying, like, uh, forget the whole, like, should we drink or should we not drink? Forget the whole moral argument. Our liberties, our rights as men, as Americans, are are all on the cho- chopping block. It's kind of that that slippery slope argument. Sounds familiar. Of uh, yeah, and I mean, and, and look, <laughs> that argument has been very beneficial. I mean, uh, you know, forget the temperance thing. It's it's easy to say like, well, this is just the first step, right? Yeah, and and that's always worked that politically. F- the fear, what do they call it, fear mongering. Right. Yeah. Right. There were some I found uh, some kind of negative, you know, prohibition sucks articles uh, where they. They talk about how, uh, and this also sounds familiar, that American women uh, were simply paid reformers. Hmm. Like they didn't actually, like Carrie Nation didn't actually believe in temperance. Like she was being paid off by, you know, some governor who wanted to strip your, you of your, your American freedoms and, and, and liberties, uh, which is just so wild, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that if we, we ban alcohol or, you know, what the Volstead Act does, that you know we're going to america's going to become this like tyrannical inquisition you know where you know this this puppet state of 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 uh of the government right i mean just you see all these like weird conspiracy conspiracy fears which honestly like don't seem that foreign now you know uh just people just (laughs) blindly speculating of like uh you know prohibition is going to become blank and blank and blank and then eventually blank and blank and blank you know yeah um yep and then it's all just water because there's going to be microchips in the water (laughs) right (laughs) here's kind of the quote to kind of lead us out so going back to our uh to to fran grace you know from uh carrie nation retelling the life um so uh, uh american perceptions of not generalities but genderalities of activism uh which in the case of women tended to be negative during this period are slow to fade from historical memory 
So in the same way that Carrie Nation represented everything a good woman should not be in, you know, 1903, that becomes the enduring legacy of her during this kind of, like, prohibition era, right? Wow. Um, And as I kind of started to, like, take that out of, like, you know, post-1933 into the 40s and the 50s and even, like, the 60s, you know, she wasn't mentioned a lot. Mm -hmm. If it was, it was a footnote. And honestly, if she was mentioned... You know, it was, you know, let's mention her and other temperance people, you know, uh, you know, from Women's Christian Temperance Union, right? And then let's talk about how Prohibition failed, right? Um, who she was gets like a footnote at best. You know, there, there's not much of a, of, a, of a sympathetic view on her in terms of like, you know, why is she doing this? What's inspiring her to do this, you know? Right. Um, and really, uh, I found myself kind of stuck finding the same information you know, five years, ten years after that, uh, until I got to kind of the women's history era, right? Uh, which is like late sixties, so, seventies, yeah. maybe even eighties. Okay. Now, Jonathan, um, you and I took this class together, looking at kind of historiography. Um, what is changing in terms of what we would call women's history in the seventies? So it's taking on this kind of differentiation between women's history and gendered history so before the emphasis on women was usually you know individual specific figures and like what they had accomplished so very much like oh here's carrie nation here's susan b anthony here's uh abigail adams right you know whereas it's it's starting to transform into gender history of like what was the role of women as a gender during this time um, or how did society view different genders through different events? So in, in a way, it almost uh, started off very specific mm. and has now got like more broad over time. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that's, that's exactly how I interpreted when we kind of studied that era. Um, that before, women kind of got the footnote. They got the fun fact. Remember like in, in like, I remember opening or like being in like elementary school. And, like, you have to, like, research a project, right? Yeah. And you have to research one person, right? Mm-hmm. And so you, you research Abigail Adams. Yeah. You uh, research Susan B. Anthony, right? Um, but you're not looking at how do they fit into this larger picture of American yes. w- women, right? You're looking at, okay, where did she live? Where did she grow up? When did she die? What did she look like? You know, um, it, it's it's a very small view of, of women's contributions to America, Right. Right. Um, and what you start to see, as you as you so eloquently put, Jonathan, is you start to see like, well, women deserve their own field here. Right. Yeah. They were kind of relegated to being part of like social history, um, but they were not given their own real category until. And honestly, the reason you see it in the 1970s is you're talking about like the second wave of like feminism. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, now we are certainly none of us are like experts in like women's history or like feminism um so if we get anything wrong here please write us in because we want to make sure we get this right but um how people today look at like the waves of feminism uh, i always have to google it to make sure i don't like misspeak but essentially like suffrage activists and so therefore like temperance activists right that's the first wave of feminism like getting the vote right uh, and all being part of all those like reform movements and then it's in like the 70s that you see like the second wave okay um and this is like coming on you know the the um 
the Equal Rights Amendment, for example, which of course we know Congress is going to pass, the president will sign, but it falls short and states don't ratify it. So we don't have an Equal Rights Amendment today, right? Uh, Roe v. Wade, you know, which of course is still, I mean, right now as we speak, you know, the Supreme Court is, is preparing to hear arguments on, on a case kind of challenging you know, the, the results of Roe v. Wade, but, you know, uh, giving women, you know, uh, more power over, over their bodies. Uh, now some people hear that and be like, that's not what Roe v. Wade is, you know, uh, gotta be very delicate whenever we talk about abortion here. Um, but you know, that's what's happening in the seventies with the second wave of feminism. And so you see historians who, you know, are still male, but are becoming more female. Also, um, you start, you start to see them reevaluate, you know, women deserve, to be part of the larger conversation, yeah. right? And the same way that we look at World War II not as a singular event, but as a series of events that you know became what it became, women should be viewed in the same way, yes. right? And, and they deserve more than just a paragraph here or there, right? Right. Um, and so here's some crazy statistics um, that just show you how desperately needed this field was. Um, so. Um, and this is from, I found this in, um, in actually one of, one of our lectures, Jonathan, that we, we did in this class. So uh, prior to 1970, only 24 books were published in the United States on the topic of women's history. So before 1970, only 24 books are focused on women. Wow. Now, like maybe, you know, maybe they're, they're mentioned in yes. passing, but actually in women, 24. Yes. 1970. 24. That is... Two dozen. Nothing. Yeah. That is... I mean, look, how many books have been written by Link on Lincoln at that point? Or mm -hmm. the Battle of Bull Run? Or World War II. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just 24? <laughs> I, I, I read that, and I, like, actually... Um, I went back and I listened to the lecture. So, like, I, it must... They must have gotten it wrong. Yeah. Do they mean 2,400? Yeah. Like, I, was like, I, mean, I was like, even 2,400 is, like, such a small... No, 24 books were written about wow. women's history. And were they written... Who were they written by? I mean, that's a great question, right? And it's like, you know, and then what, and we're not even getting into how good were they? You know? <laughs> yeah, what did we're they talk about? What's the content? Did, did they even publish? Right? Oh my goodness. Um, and so what that means is before you hit like that 1970 mark, you know, everything before that is like pre-women's history. Yeah. You know, because they're not even given their own space historically. Yes. Right? Um, I had a, uh, I had an interesting uh, source I ran across 1975. Um, it's uh, published in Women's Studies newspaper uh, newsletter, so this is part of that. Uh, you know, a historic study that's that's certainly inspired by this wave of feminism. Um, but essentially, uh, the 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 journal they published it's an analysis of well, what's in our high school history textbooks? How are women? You know, if only twenty four what's going on in these textbooks? Like how are women right. being portrayed? Um, and you know, and they looked at the 12 most adopted textbooks across America in 1975. Um, and here's, here's the quote. A few paragraphs of extravagant praise as essential to America. The other 90% of women and their stories were largely ignored. Wow. Right? And so again, even uh, forget like deep study, like at the university level, straight up, like what is the average American K through 12 learning about women and their role in America? Couple paragraphs. Wow. You know, uh, who is Abigail Adams? You know, uh, not why is Abigail Adams important to America, right? Right. Um, right, and not being a separate field of history or American history, but being integrated within the tapestry of American history because American history is about all people 
that of <laughs> exactly right, right. <laughs> and, and, and all of us you know all three of us you know obviously we know stuff about you know genealogy or like military history but all of us have, have really found interest in studying social history you're studying yep. people right and, and oftentimes you'll hear us in this podcast talk about the dangers of getting stuck in like just political history yeah. or getting just stuck in like big man history like what yeah. are we leaving out if we're only looking at um, you know the 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 most powerful politician in that era, and right. saying, "Well, this is everything you need to know." Well, right? and interestingly enough, like it's post nineteen seventies female historians who have really driven social history exactly <laughs> in the past few decades. Go figure, right? Right. Yeah. What? Because what, they're probably looking at they're looking at these books. And they're saying, "Where am I in this story? How do I right. fit into here?" Right. Um, that is uh, that that book, Fran Grace. Things like nineteen ninety nine. Uh, but that's you. She she comes out in the in the uh, in the the acknowledgments at the end of the book and says, "This is why I wrote this book on Carrie Nation, yeah. because as I was a woman learning American history, where are the women at? Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, they don't get more than just a paragraph, right? And when it comes to Carrie Nation, her paragraph is overwhelmingly negative, right? Yes, um, and it leaves out all these key points about her, right? Uh, here, here's another quote from that uh, that 1975 look at those textbooks." A full page on suffrage is a rarity. Nowhere do textbooks give a balanced picture of the continuing roles of women during the era or that of American history. Wow. Um, and so here's what I wrote. This acknowledgement of this long-held historical coverage of women is critically important and led to real change in how the field examined and reflected on women activists from the past. So as you kind of exit this, like, 70s, like, start of this, like, wave of feminism, you start to see male and female oh hit the microphone guys there sorry um you start to see people going back and uh, okay we know what temperance was and you know whatever the mess prohibition became but let's not focus on their methods let's focus on who they were mm. let's focus on their motivations let's focus on stuff like people had talked about the wtc wctu but they had never talked about this wonder of their structure or the thing that we were amazed about last episode how smart their form of activism was well we can't get out of this role of the women so let's use that to our advantage it, yeah. you don't see like you don't see people looking at that until you hit this like 1970s era um it just simply wasn't seen as valuable research right right which is overwhelmingly sexist because you better believe they analyzed you know the social structure of the military in World War II yes. or that of, you know, Andrew Jackson's kitchen cabinet, right? But women just weren't given the time of day when it came to more than just, uh, in a couple sentences, tell me what they did. Right. Right. Wow. Um, kind of as we're moving through here, um, this whole period is dominated by kind of a retelling and, and something that we've said inspired us to make this podcast was to kind of, what are the undertold stories mm. of American history, right? Is the popularly held story, the whole story is it the right story. Right. Is it the story, but it's been told wrong or from the wrong perspective. And in this era, you know, 1970s to like today, you kind of see people challenging it. You kind of see, and I think this is exciting for particularly the field of women history, you see people treating history like a social science. You know, the whole scientific method thing that we talked about in our historiography thing of like, it's the job of the scientist to look at the people who came before 
and said, what did they get right and what did they get wrong, right? Mm. And then how can I correct that? Mm. How can I make the telling of the past better or more accurate? Right. Or fill in what they missed or what they got wrong. And you see that happening kind of in this in this era, um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and really, guys, that is essentially kind of where I, I stopped. I, I talked about different different sources but it's all kind of re-examining the role of women throughout history particularly the role of 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 carry nation um stuff like realizing that like there's not a monolith when it comes to temperance activists you know yeah you had uh people in the east who just wanted to you know pray outside of uh out of saloons and you had people in the midwest people you know who were followers of carry nation who were like that's not enough get in there with a hatchet with a rock break some stuff Show them what's up, you know? Um, and so things like that of, of, of you know, um, it's important in history to realize that there are no monoliths, that people are complex, and one group of people are not the same. That right. had been largely done with temperance activists, including Carrie Nation, until historians decided, you know what? Why am I just accepting that at face value? Isn't right. it my job to investigate yeah. the past, right? Um, and, and find, you know... Uh, what other differences are there between these these activists? Absolutely. History should never be permanent. It should always be open to reevaluation and the inclusion of more voices. And I'm always I'm curious, like even thinking about Carrie Nation, what are those untold or, or perhaps even unknown stories of of people that were affected by her? You know, that 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 uh, the mother or the wife who is at home in a similar situation that Carrie Nation was and now has some voice right. or someone kind of a platform or someone that's speaking up for someone in her situation. Sure. Where, where would people like that be without Carrie Nation? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, I go back to that quote, um, I'm trying to find it here where the, where they basically said how, how many would be drunkards did she rescue? Right. Yeah. She, she had to rescue at least one, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's right. like, right. there's a significant personal impact I know Andrew, you talked about the uh, the different newspapers like the Hatchet and all those, where yeah. women would women would write in and, and talk about their experiences similar to Carrie Nation. So it's you know she she had to have a profound effect yeah. on on the little people, right? The people who were were living in those conflicts day to day, right? Right, and and I I, I love that now we we can look back at this story, and it this makes me wonder how many other stories have we given a raw deal to that we yeah. need to go back and, and retell you know yeah. if anything with this podcast we're always aware that that we're only just beginning like that that you know if we're trying to tell undertold stories there's a bunch that we haven't even thought about yet right, right? you know um but but i i do like that you're starting to see carry nation as more than just a, a western crank as a overbearing fanatic as like this hysterical like killjoy you know because i think historically until like the 70s that's kind of how she was portrayed, you know. Mm-hmm. And and if and if somebody said different, it was a minority voice, somebody who knew her or was part of her movement, you know. Um, you know the William Allen Whites of the world who originally defended her. It seems like those kind of disappear hmm, until yeah. you know women historians. Let's be honest. I mean, yeah, there's there's men writing about Carrie Nation in the '70s, but a lot of them are women because they were inspired by. <laughs> This is wrong. This is this is messed up, right? Who who right. who challenged the status quo, right? And you have to imagine uh, these women historians who are going back and saying, you know what? 
you've given 51% of the population a raw deal historically, right? I mean, what a way to carry the mantle, right? right. That's been passed to them uh, from your suffragettes, from your temperance activists, from your religious and moral reformers, you know, from your Jane Adams, right? To say, you know what? They changed society so I could have a voice, so that I could exist outside of the home, you right. know? Um, and now it's my job to make sure I repay them by correcting how they should be remembered. Wow. Right. Um, and, and for me, that was really inspirational. And as you know, this is a, this is a podcast uh, produced by three white men. Right. Yeah. And so we're aware that that we obviously are probably not catching everything here. Right. But it really did inspire me that of like, look at how we've done better as a historical uh, movement, right? Mm. Um, we're not perfect. I'm sure we're getting things wrong right Still now as we speak. Still work to do. There yeah. always will be, right? To somebody to pass the mantle to. Right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, guys, that's really where I stopped. Um, and uh, I hope this this sounded clear. Those of you listening, um, historiography is is tough because you really have to like you have to dive into uh, who's writing this about that topic, and then what's their motivations. Yeah, you know, it, so it's kind of like you—it's it's like a layers of an onion. You're peeling them back, right? Uh, and I hope as you listen to this, it just inspires you to to not accept anything at face value. I mean, really, like you know, it makes you wonder. Like you, you, we always would say, like, oh, well, that's written from a you know historian wrote this, so it must be good. I don't know. <laughs> be curious. Yeah, exactly. ask questions. Right. right. Be op- be open minded. Right. right. You might not like the answer. <laughs> certainly. Right? right. Certainly. And and if you go into to historical research with a perspective, you'll eventually find a source that'll back up your perspective. Yeah. It's much harder to swallow your pride, right? right? And to be like, well, where is the history leading me, right? Yeah. And only in a, in a pursuit of, of understanding the past with those motivations, wow. do you stand a chance of getting it even partially right, I think. That's well said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, guys, as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, I'm really excited, Jonathan, uh, for uh, for the John Brown part. Uh, and you know, Carrie Nation was perennially called, you know, the John Brown of Prohibition, you know, the 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 Joan of Arc of Temperance. And I'm excited to hear about kind of the OG, you know, famous, infamous John Brown. So, what can we look forward to next couple episodes in our Kansas Crusader series? Uh, I think you're gonna see that who writes history is critical that that sometimes having friends in high places will establish a legacy that can survive being dragged through the mud um and i i think that you're gonna also see a narrative that isn't too different from uh miss carrie nation but someone who might have got a better deal in the end interesting mm. interesting well, i'm excited that is a ledge to leave us on let me tell you um well guys i'm already excited for this uh but oh, yeah. we'll let you go for now uh guys thank you for listening uh to this episode of making history dope again if you like what you hear leave us a review let us know what we got wrong whenever we make these like big multi-part series i mean it's just a numbers game uh, we probably got <laughs> something wrong here so let us know what that was um and hey social media instagram uh Get in touch with us, okay? Yeah. Because we want to kind of make this not just 
us talking and you listening, let's make it a community, guys. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, and you're a huge part of that. Hey, we haven't had a merch drop in a while. We you haven't. Wanna, you want to see Carrie Nation on a shirt? Let us know. Oh, snap. Let I us know. So. I think uh, we need John it. Brown Part 2? Let us know. Hatchet yeah. Nation. Oh, my Hatchet-tation. goodness. Hatchetation. Hatchetation to oh. the nation. That's right. That's oh, right. snap. Well, guys, uh, appreciate you listening. As always, stay safe. Stay sane. And live the revolution. We'll see you next time.